Oh, what beautiful singing this morning. Wonderful. If you would open your Bibles to Matthew 25, we'll be there in just a very quickly. About a week ago, I was asked a question that I've been asked. It was, this question was asked by one of you. And this is a question I've been asked by several over the years. Recently, someone over at Buck Lodge asked me this question. So I put this lesson together and preached it a few months ago over there. And I thought, well, maybe it's time to bring it over here also. The question is, what happens after we die? I'm going to think about that this morning. And I'd like to start it off by thinking about uh, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25. And in this chapter, he kind of gives us a, a glimpse of what takes place out in the future. And starting in verse 31, this is what Jesus says. He says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, when He sits on the throne of His glory, all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you, uh, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This scripture gives us a picture of what it's going to be like someday. It's not about just the church, but he says all nations will come before him. And, and God will divide all people as sheep and goats. And we see the, a clear separation that takes place. You know, uh, I have attended well over a hundred funerals in my life. I have uh, officiated 35. I've taken part in probably 50 more, either as leading the, leading the congregational singing or being a part of the, those that sang at the funeral or being a pallbearer. And I've been to probably many, many more, I know many more, where I just was there in attendance. And hundreds more times where I wasn't at the funeral service but made the visit over to the funeral home. But I can tell you the times that I've been there as a part of that, 
I have never heard anyone ever preach the one that's deceased to hell. Never have heard that. It's something I wouldn't do either. That person has, has died and there's nothing more you can do for that person. No matter what uh, their fate may be as far as their preparation to meet God in judgment. So I don't see really the purpose of, of doing that. God will be the judge. But I've never seen anyone preach to hell. Now my son Jason came over one time and he had just uh, attended a funeral. And uh, it was a denominational preacher. He said he did that. I said, well, I've never seen that happen before. But he said he saw that happen one time and witnessed that. But I have seen many where they've been preached to heaven. And they'll talk about, well, you know, Bob was a great golfer, and he's up there with his golfing buddies up there in heaven right now. They're, they're on the back nine, you know, and having a good time. Or Bob loved to fish, and he's up there with his fishing buddies. They're out there on that lake up there in heaven, and they're fishing together. You've heard some sermons like that perhaps at a funeral. They talk about all the things going on. Well, whoever's preaching things such as that, they don't, first of all, they don't have an understanding of what heaven is. That's not what heaven's about at all. But furthermore, I would submit to you that not even those that have been faithful and have obeyed the gospel, been lived faithfully unto death, they're not up there either. And I think we can see this in our scriptures that have been prepared for this morning. So let's look at a few things, see what God's Word says about this. There is an everlasting, an eternal resting place. Jesus spoke of this. In John 3.16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that whoever, uh, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. We all know that passage, but think about those last words. That God loved us so much, He wants every one of us to have everlasting life. This is a life that, that's without end. Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman in uh, John chapter 4, verse 14, when it says, But the water that I shall give him will become to, in him a fountain of water springing up uh, to everlasting life. So there he brings this up again. He, he talked to Nicodemus about everlasting life. He talked to the Samaritan woman about everlasting life. That was the message that Jesus brought in his early ministry, that we can have everlasting life. There were two men that asked Jesus this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This was asked to Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, by a lawyer. And again in Luke chapter 18, verse 18, by one who was called a ruler. Two different occasions he was asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? These were people that recognized Jesus as one uh, with the answer to that question. How do we get that? How do we receive that? And so no doubt... There is a day that we will either spend an eternity in a heavenly home or we'll spend an eternity in a devil's hell. And I think you know which choice we'd rather have. There is a resurrection of the dead. 
Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So again, from the very words of Jesus, he talks about a resurrection. There will be this day that will come. And it's going to be different for different people. For some, it is a resurrection unto life. But to others, he calls it a resurrection unto condemnation. Paul talks about this in Acts chapter 24, verse 15, when he says, I have hope in God, which they in themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both for the just and the unjust. So again, who will be involved in this resurrection? Just people will be, and unjust people will be. It doesn't matter who we are, which way we decided we're going to live our life, we're going to face a resurrection someday. You know, the Sadducees were uh, the people that did not believe in a resurrection. And they had a question for Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. They bring up this matter. They said, you know, under the Old Testament law, the law said that here's a couple that's married. And, and the, the husband dies. If he has a younger brother, he is obligated to marry that wife. So they bring this question to Jesus. They said, here's this couple. The man dies. The younger brother marries her. Well, he dies. Well, they had another younger brother. He marries her, and he dies. And this goes through, well, before it's all over with, she married these seven brothers. <laughs> and the question is, who will be her husband in the resurrection? And Jesus answered it this way in Matthew 22, verse 29. Jesus says, and answers to them, says, You are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that it was spoken to you by God, saying, that I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So Jesus was showing these people that even though there is a resurrection, one reason they opposed that is they didn't understand what happens after we're resurrected. And, and he tells them that, that after that time, we're not going to be given in marriage during that time. We're going to be like the angels of God. And so he answers them very clearly about this. There's been some resurrections already in that Jesus resurrected some back from the dead. We think of Lazarus usually as, a, as the one that uh, is remembered the most of being brought back from the dead. We know that the apostles brought people back from the dead. There's also a scripture in Matthew chapter 27 that tells us that while Jesus was on the cross, well, while he was on the cross, this was recorded in Matthew's account. Matthew 27 and verse 52, it tells us, And the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after... His resurrection, and they went to the holy city and appeared to many. 
Not only was Jesus resurrected from the dead three days after his crucifixion, there were other dead saints who came back from the dead and they presented themselves during that time. And so there's definitely a resurrection. So exactly what happens after we die? Think about the story of the rich man and Lazarus. I'm not going to take the time to read that this morning, but if you'd like to read back over it, it's found in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. That's where you can find that story. And we find in this story here, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, that here's two individuals who died. One was this poor beggar by the name of Lazarus. He dies. The other character did not have a name, but he's just known as a rich man, and he dies. And then we see the scene of what takes place after their death. Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man goes to a place of torments. We know that this did not take place at the end of time. Well, how do I know this? As you study through the story, you find that uh, this rich man is crying out to Abraham. He, he makes a couple of requests of him, and one of the requests was this, Would you send Lazarus back to earth and warn my five brothers? Now, if, if time had ended, would there be five brothers left on the earth? No, there would not be. So the earth has not ended when this takes place. He wants this warning to go back to his brothers. So I think that's something key there that we need to understand. It's not the end of time. But as we look at this, we do have to admit this, that as you look at the comforts of Lazarus and you look at the comforts of this rich man, that they're in a place that has similar features to heaven and hell. But we see that, that that's not what took place here. Abraham's bosom is not heaven, and this place of torments is not hell. Well, let's look a little further and see how we get to, to think about this. Let's pull away from that story just a little bit. And, and we notice in Luke chapter 24, verse 43, Jesus again is on the cross during this time, and this is the passage of Scripture where Jesus turns to the thief on the cross and says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now when was this going to happen? It's going to happen today, isn't it? Where are they going to be? He said, you and I are going to be in paradise. You will hear some people tell you that that thief on the cross went to heaven that day. I'm going to show you how I know he didn't. In fact, Jesus didn't go to heaven that day. He went to paradise, but he did not go to heaven. In John chapter 20, this is three days later. Three days later, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, He's approached in the garden by Mary, and He says to her, Do not cling to Me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And I've got a question for you now. Who is the Father of Jesus Christ? Was He talking about Joseph? He's talking about God, isn't He? He said, I have not yet ascended to my Father. Now I have another question. Where is God? God's in that heavenly home, isn't He? We understand that. We know that. God is in that 
place. He's in that realm. But Jesus said, I have not yet ascended to my Father. What does that tell us? He went somewhere else, didn't he? He didn't go to heaven, but he did go to another place, and he identifies that when he's dying on the cross, and he looks over to the thief and says, Today, you will be with me in paradise. I would submit to you that that place of paradise is the same place that's noted to us as Abraham's bosom in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. We go, again, we can go over to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, we find that how Jesus presented himself with many infallible proofs uh, during 40 days of, of his resurrection after he'd come back to this earth. And he meets with his apostles one last time. And he says a few things to them. But in verse 9, it says this. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus went to heaven then. Jesus was raised up at that time. And we can look back again. He died on the cross. He told the thief that you and I are going to go to paradise today. When Jesus came back from the, the dead, when he was resurrected, he said, don't cling to me. I have not yet ascended to my Father. But now we find at this time, 40 days later, he now has left and he had not been back since. But he is coming back someday. Let's go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And this is a scripture I've used often when I've been one to preach at a funeral. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we find that the people of Thessalonica, the Christians in Thessalonica, had trouble understanding about the resurrection also. They had questions about it. And Paul is answering this when he says in verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, my brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now their concern is about those who have fallen asleep. He's not talking about sleep in, in the sense that we think of it, but those who have died. That's what he's saying. Those who have fallen into eternal sleep. They're dead. And they had this concern about those who had died. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. I don't want you to be concerned about this either. He says in verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will be by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. We saw a moment ago in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascended up into the heavens. And, and these two men in white apparel told them, one day he will come back in like manner. And Paul talks about this right here. He says there's going to be a day that, that we'll look up and there, there Jesus will be. If that was to happen this morning before we finish this service, we will know about it. We will hear the, the shout. Uh, we will hear the voice of the archangel. We'll hear the trumpet of God. We will be very much aware of this. And he even tells us in order here that those who are asleep in Jesus, those that uh, uh, died but they were faithful unto the Lord, they were obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they did all that they should do in their lives to prepare for that day of death, they're going to come up out of the graves. Your loved ones that are out here at Old Brush Cemetery or the cemetery here in town or wherever they may be, if they were faithful in Christ, they're going to come up out of those graves. And they're going to meet the Lord in the air. And then we who are faithful will meet the Lord in the air after that. He said, comfort each other with these words. There is a day coming. That Jesus is going to appear, it may be in our lifetime, it may be after our lifetime, but either way, we will get to meet Him in the air if we've been faithful. And I'm comforted by that. So we ask again, where were the dead? You know, again, I'd like for us to think about this. For anyone that says, well, they already have gone to heaven, I want to ask you this question. If they are already in heaven, why do they need to be resurrected? <laughs> why do you want to come back here to just go right back up? You've got to come from somewhere else. They're in the grave. They're in another realm. But they're not in that heavenly home yet. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul continues to talk about this, and we covered this a week or two ago. But he says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. This tells us when all this is going to take place. <laughs> that is, we don't know. We have no idea. And it's going to be on God's time. It's not going to be on our timetable. It's not going to be by anything that we may think. But on God's timetable, when He's ready, this day will come. And we just simply need to be prepared. We need to be ready whenever that time may be. Peter also gives us some insight on this. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 10 tells us that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with, with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat both in the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord because of which the heavens will be dissolved 
being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Here, Peter tells us the same thing that Paul just told us over in Thessalonians, in that the day of the Lord will be as a thief in the night. We don't know when it's going to take place. But whenever it does take place, as Paul tells us about the resurrection of those that will go up to the Lord, whatever's left down here on this earth is going to be burned up. This will be the time that this earth will be destroyed. There will be nothing left of it. There will be nothing left of this universe. There will be another realm then. And we'll either be in the heavenly home or we'll be in the lake of fire and darkness with the devil and those that followed after him. Thinking about this, just in a way of a conclusion, we go back to the rich man and Lazarus, and we think about that story one more time. And it tells us that Lazarus in that comfortable place, the rich man died. And, but yet, I've always found it interesting that shortly after Jesus tells that story, something takes place in the 11th chapter of John. And what takes place in the 11th chapter of John is there's another man by the name of Lazarus who died. This is the Lazarus. He wasn't the poor beggar, but he is Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. And he died. And by the time Jesus was able to get to him, he'd been dead for four days. And Jesus brought him back from the dead. The scriptures do not tell us what Lazarus said to people. But he was gone for four days. And I think about this, that even though his words were not recorded, it, it does tell us in chapter 12 that there were many people that believed in Jesus because of his testimony. They heard the things that he had to say and they believed him. But I go back to what takes place in the story of the rich man and Lazarus and there we find that uh, Abraham tells that rich man that even though Lazarus go back to earth and talk to his five brothers, he said, if I, if I was to do that, if he was able to go and do that, they wouldn't listen to him. They have Abraham, they have Moses, they have the prophets, and they didn't listen to that. Why would they listen to, to Lazarus even though he was to go back from the dead? But yet we find that with the Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, yes, there were people that believed because of his testimonies, but get this, the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees were so angered by the things he had to say that they were seeking to take his life once again. So it does come around true, doesn't it? That there are some people that are just so convinced, they become so hard-hearted, that even though someone would come back from the grave and tell their experience, they would not listen. And that was the case with these chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees. I hope that we can think about this in the sense that we be prepared. 
Because when we die, once again, even though we don't go directly to heaven, there is that eternity. We need to be prepared for that. We want to be prepared for paradise. We want to be prepared for Abraham's bosom. And we want to be prepared for a final judgment where we will spend that everlasting life in a heavenly home. Now, as I bring this lesson this morning, I know I didn't give every detail. There's some things I really don't know. But it's sort of the same way as this. You know, from time to time, I go other places and preach. And when I leave out on a Sunday morning to go to one of our sister congregations, I do not know specifically what to expect, but I do know generally what I'm going to expect. I know some faces I'll probably see. I know that they're going to worship in pretty much a like manner as we do here. And I understand all those things, but, you know, their order of worship may be just a little bit different in the way that we do things. And I don't know those details. In the same way with eternal life, we may not know the details, but we do get a clear enough picture from God's Word to know what to expect, to know what we need, why we need to prepare, and know what we're preparing for. And we need to be prepared. This morning I asked that question to you. Are you prepared? Are you ready for the judgment day? Are you ready to meet God? That's what we must do. If you believe that Jesus is God's Son, and you're willing to make that confession before man, and, and by the way, you have repented of your sins too, then we're prepared that you might be baptized into Christ this very morning. We're here to assist you. If you need that help, please come as we stand and sing.